That's a good song. Numbers chapter 20 is where we're at in our study on our way through that book. reading that chapter. Numbers chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And there was no water for the congregation. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people chode with Moses and spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord? And why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? And wherefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us in unto this evil place? It is a place of... It is no place of seed or of figs or of vines or of pomegranates, neither is there any water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell upon their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother. And speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give them the congregation and their beasts drink. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because you believed me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. This is the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel strove with the Lord, and he was sanctified in them. And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom, Thus thy brother Israel, or thus saith thy brother Israel, thou knowest all the travel that hath befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel, and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand or to the left until we have passed thy borders. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway 
And if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything, go through on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore Israel turned away from him. And the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came unto Mount Hor. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the coast of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because you rebelled against me, against my word at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, and bring them up unto Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eleazar his son, and Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up into the Mount Hor, and the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there in the top of the mount. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount. When all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron thirty days, even all the house of Israel. <clears throat> well, it's a long reading, but it was uh, <clears throat> it's an interesting chapter. It's a pivotal chapter, actually. It seems to be a change uh, taking place here. It begins a new section in the book. We have just come through a, a interesting section that dwells primarily with the priesthood in Israel. Chapters 15 through 19, if you review those chapters, they're, they're all about the priesthood. The priesthood is the solid theme there. And chapter 15, you remember, is where he changes. That's the big division in the book. The, the children of Israel come to Kadesh Barnea, and they're prepared to go into, they should be prepared to go into the land. God invites them to go into the land, and they refuse in chapter 14. They refuse for fear of the giants that are in the land, and they're afraid they don't dare go in. So they disbelieve God, and because of their unbelief, uh, God passes judgment on, <clears throat> on that whole company. And all those men of war that should have marched into the land, in, by faith conquered that land, as they, uh, <clears throat> all those men of war must die in the wilderness. So God gives them 40 years in the wilderness <clears throat> to have to... Uh, live that out. And in chapter 15 then, after that sentence is passed in chapter 14, you'll all die in the wilderness. None of you will go into the land except the children and the, the young ones, 20 years old and under, and so forth. His next chapter 15 starts out with these words, when you become into the land. And so he begins immediately to talk to that new generation, that the children, the it's as though they're the, they're the reborn ones, the new birth ones. They're the, they're the ones that are going to be brought into the land. For sure, God will bring them in. So God invites them in chapter 15 to worship when they come into the land. And in their worship as they come into the land, there, he adds a new dimension to their worship. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of the review of that, but the new dimension of worship in, in, uh, that God invites the children of Israel to engage in includes the meal offering with the drink offering. 
the meal offering and the drink offering are added now to the burnt offerings and they're added to the peace offerings and they're added to even the sin offerings. They weren't added there in the book of Leviticus. They're added here in numbers to this newborn generation as you were, as it were. And they, they have a new appreciation of the perfections of Christ in that meal offering and of the devotion of Christ in that drink offering. And in fact, it, it, it kind of in, invites them to enter into the fact that they themselves become, in Christ, a meal offering to God. God they actually are able, believers in Christ, are able to bring to God something for His pleasure, a cake, a wafer, something that it would satisfy God. And, uh, and a drink offering, a, a, an outpouring of devotion to God that is acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. These, these privileges belong to the people of God under faith. And that, of course, that's how, that, that's New Testament. We're talking New Testament priests of God. In the land we come and add to our worship our service acceptable in Christ Jesus, our devotion to God. And he accepts us. And then in chapter 16, the high priest was challenged there. Remember, Korah comes with his company, and they want to take over the priesthood. And uh, and that is uh, soundly put down, and God judges them in a dramatic way. The earth opens up and and they're swallowed up, and so forth. Not to go into that detail, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Chapter 17, God confirms his choice of Aaron as the high priest, and the confirmation he puts on it, so that there'll never be any further discussion or question as to who God has chosen, is the rod that buds, that rod of the e- of Aaron's dead stick, like the dead stick of all the other children of Israel, tribes of the children of Israel, Aaron's budded and blossomed and brought forth fruit overnight. Life out of death, resurrection, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is God's stamp upon him that he is the chosen high priest to present the people of God forever. <laughs> in in uh, and <laughs> what a wonderful. Uh, <clears throat> anointing that is uh, if you're taking any notes jot down Acts 13.33 and, and read that and concerning that as Paul's uh, preaching there he speaks of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ thou art my son this day have I begotten thee and so forth <clears throat> chosen of God <clears throat> and then chapter 18 uh, outlines some of the duties and responsibilities of the high priests and the re- of the priesthood and the rewards for the priesthood and so forth, their maintenance. And chapter 19, which we just spoke about last time, the red heifer <clears throat> and the offering of the red heifer, the ashes of the red heifer, which were for purification from sin and from defilement all through the uh, wilderness journey and beyond. <clears throat> so that Beautiful pictures there. We won't go back into all of that detail. I could spend the whole time reviewing. We wouldn't get anywhere. Chapter 20, then, is sort of a 
transition chapter it either starts a new section or closes the old one. I can't decide which. I don't know if it belongs to the old chapter, the old section, or if it belongs to the new. It, it may belong to that last section because it records in the end of it, as we read, the death of the high priest. It's still talking about the priesthood a little bit, or the priesthood is brought in, and not much not much happens with the priesthood from here on out in the book. A, a little mention of, of Phineas and so forth, and we'll get to that. But <clears throat> so it may belong to that section on the priesthood, or it may belong to the next section because it begins with these words, the children of Israel journeyed, you know, they came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. <clears throat> in the first month. The first month, what? First month of what? It doesn't tell us that. It just kind of leaves us hanging there. In the first month. Well, a little bit of, a little bit of research and you'll figure it out. It's the first month of the 40th year. <laughs> it's the last year. <laughs> They're on their way. They're going to go in to the land. They have accomplished the 40 years of wandering. And this is the first month of the 40th year. I, I could reference for you chapter 33 and verse 38 to confirm that in Numbers. 33, 38 tells us Aaron the priest went up into Mount Hor at the commandment of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel come out of the land of Egypt in the first day of the fifth month. And so <clears throat> that was in the 40th year, and we read that in this chapter. Actually, this is the first month, and by the time we get to the end of the chapter, we're in the fifth month when Aaron dies. And so we have a four-month, this chapter covers four months. They're in the 40th year. 38 years. I say 38 because the first couple of years they were there at Mount Sinai, getting the covenant and so forth. And God graciously included those years as time already spent in the wilderness. When he said 40 years you'll be in the wilderness, he sort of, like sometimes you do when you sentence a criminal, you know, he said the time already spent counts. And it's kind of like that for the children of Israel. So from when they left Sinai, it was 38 years now that they have been wandering in the wilderness. So 38 years are passed over by the book, uh, the bulk of this wilderness journey. And, and all that is mentioned of those 38 years is those chapters about the priesthood. And, and there's only one event that is highlighted, and that's Korah's rebellion. That's the only event <clears throat> the New Testament calls Korah's rebellion gainsaying, which means Korah thought the priesthood was for personal gain and personal advantage, personal exaltation. That's what the priesthood meant to him. He could put himself into the priesthood as the high priest and be the big shot, be the important guy, be the high priest for this this nation, and he thought that was you know something that you could you could go after. He could advance himself for. He actually thought the priesthood was for the enrichment of the priest. That's not what the priesthood is for. It's not for the priest. The priesthood is for the people and for God. 
He's the go-between, between a sinful people and a holy God. It's not about self at all. Korah's idea of priest for pay, if I may put it like that, priest for pay, is widely taught and held in Christendom. It ought to shock us. Korah's idea of priest for pay is, in fact, when you think about it, a terrible, a terrible slander against the great high priest himself. Because if the priests are in it for themselves, obviously the high priest is the chief in it for himself, recipient of all the goodies. Is Christ, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, is he in it for what he can get out of it, for personal gain, for personal advantage? Oh, that's a terrible slander against him. Just the idea of it is a slander on the name of the Lord Jesus himself. <clears throat> it's no wonder, <clears throat> it's no wonder that the judgment for them is a uh, anti-rapture, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Because those that are following that great high priest, the Lord Jesus, those of us who love and serve him, those of us who believe in him that someday when he comes, we'll be caught up together with him in the sky. We'll be, we'll skip death. We'll slide right past death. Alive we'll be caught up and changed in immortality into glory. That's the rapture. Korah and his company skipped death too. And they fell alive right into the pit. It's an empty rapture. It is the direct opposite of what the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ will, in fact, enjoy. Thirty-eight years are summarized by these illustrations. Uh, it seems to me to illustrate the importance that God places on priestly function in the wilderness. Thirty-eight years of the priests doing their service. It's all really that's talked about in those 38 years is what the priests, is the priests. David, remember, had organized the priesthood in Israel in 24 courses so that each course, each little group, of course, would serve for like an eight-day week and then they would do that twice in the year. I don't know exactly how, it's, that's how it all worked out. Round and round and round these courses went. Round and round these courses went. Year after year after year after year after year. Is it just, is it just, you know, what good is it? What's the value of it? Round and round and round, doing the same things over and over. They go, they follow their course, they come in and they burn the incense and do the they do their little duties and so forth and then go out. And then the next course comes and they do their little duties and they go out. And this happens for year after year. In the wilderness, it was 38 years. It just kind of passed over without anybody saying anything about it. How important was it? <laughs> to God, it was the only thing that counted. And sometimes we think our, our routine Christian experience, our, our day-to-day round and rounds we go, we read our Bible, we pray, we go off and work and we come back. You know, it's kind of like a round and round and round. 
to God, it is critically important. It's beautifully important. But in this chapter is a chapter of change. We're talking about a transition chapter here, chapter 20. And the ultimate change that comes upon our experience as humanity, and humanity is death, isn't it? And uh, there's a lot about death in this chapter. Miriam dies in the first chapter, in the first verse, and and Aaron dies in the last. One thing about this wilderness journey, it's marked then by change and by temporariness, transition, and changes in our course, in our, in our lives become, can be very upsetting, can throw us into panic attacks and things like that. <laughs> we can have difficulty dealing with change. Some changes, some changes come about by natural causes, you know, just the course of things. Verse 1, Miriam's came to the end of her life and she died. That's just the way that, that's just the way things are. It's the way life is. Some changes come about because of choices we make. Moses and Aaron chose to rebel against God's word. And that made some serious changes for them. They were no longer they were disqualified to go into the land. They could not lead the people in. God shut that down. Changes in their course because of the choices they made. Some changes are uh, come about because of other people's choices that affect us. The Edomites wouldn't let these children of Israel go through their land, and they had to change their course and take a hard route around their border, which was a very difficult and arduous journey, six times probably longer than if they had let them just go through on the highway. Sometimes other people's choices affect our lives and change is a part of that, a painful change. And some changes are God-ordered. Aaron was taken up under the direct guidance of God to die in that mountain. And so change is a very real part of our wilderness journey. None of the things, none of the changes, however they come, derails God's purpose for his for his people. That's a beautiful thing. That's something to remember. In all the changing things that are going on around us, none of the changes derail God's purpose. His presence is constant with them all through the chapter. He's there with them at the beginning. He's there with them at the end. His promise is unaltered. They're going on into the promised land in spite of Edom and and its opposition, in spite of Moses' failure striking the rock instead of speaking to it, in spite of death itself, the promises of God are unaltered. He is still the rock in Rephidim as well as in Kadesh. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament exhorts us to hold fast our confidence firm unto the end, 
And it concludes with these beautiful words in chapter 13 of that book, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. That's the rock of our assurance. These things give us confidence in the changing wilderness experience. I mentioned that the chapter has three parts to it. And the first uh, part is a verse, first 13 verses records the death of Miriam and the death sentence on Moses. You might put it like that. Wow. That was a pretty powerful uh, part here. And it seems just interesting to me the way the death of Miriam is brought about. Miriam, of course, is the Hebrew name, pronunciation of Mary, just for the fun of it. Her first, she's first uh, introduced to us in the book of Exodus in chapter one or two, one or two, two I think it is, in the book of Exodus. But she's not named there. I guess it's in chapter one. She's not named. She's just called the sister of Moses. Moses's sister is the only thing we read about her there. And of course, she is the one that watches the little infant get put into the little ark on the river and watches the Pharaoh's daughter and, and intervenes on behalf of the little baby Moses. In chapter 15 of Exodus, she appears again. This time she gets her name. We, we read her name there, Miriam, and she is called there, not the sister of Moses, but the sister of Aaron. I find that kind of interesting, an interesting detail. Uh, <clears throat> and she's also called a prophetess. She's the one at that, in that chapter that takes the timbrel and leads the rest of the women and dances and, and timbrels and dancing, singing the song of Moses. Singing unto the Lord. Glory, he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider is cast into the sea. She's singing the triumph and the glory, the excitement of deliverance from Egypt. And there they are now on the shore of resurrection. The only other mention of Miriam in, the, in this book, besides the one we have here, is uh, chapter 12, where she speaks against Moses. Her and Aaron team up against Moses, and she is struck with leprosy in that chapter and is unclean for seven days. Well, she does get healed and restored. It is a stern discipline upon her in that chapter. <clears throat> In Micah chapter 6 and verse 4, we'll read that God speaking of the children of Israel. He says, I brought thee out of the land of Egypt, and I sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam. So she is included and by God as the leadership of Israel as they go through the wilderness. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. But then here we find the record of her death. And man... It doesn't get much publicity here. It's not even a half a verse. Miriam died and she was buried there. And the, the verse goes on, and the children, it's, it's like it's a, it's almost like it's a little uh, parenthetical note added in there that Miriam died there. But there, where Miriam, the prophetess, she was the prophetess in Israel. What, what prophesying she ever did, we have no record of. 
but she was part of that leadership team. Where the prophetess dies, the people thirst for water. And there, once again, they chide with Moses and Aaron about why did you bring us out here to die? Where is all the promised blessings of the pomegranates and figs and things? This is an evil place, they say. We read those verses. Now, the word Kadesh, where they were at, means set apart. It means separated. Separated, and we think of right away, separated to God. It's uh, it's what a believer's life is supposed to be. Sanctified. Set apart to God. That's what Kadesh means. And the life of separation sometimes is not always a pleasant experience if considered from the perspective of the flesh. It implies, of course, that the blessings have not yet come. And, uh, and the carnal response to uh, is that this is, an, this is an evil place. If we have to deny ourselves, if we have to be without then this is an evil place, and it becomes another Meribah. Remember, Meribah was the same name given to that place way back in Exodus chapter 17. In year one, when they came out of the land of Egypt, they barely got into the wilderness. They barely began to follow God. And there, Meribah, Massa and Meribah, the place of strife over water. Year one, Meribah. Year 40, Meribah. What does that tell you about the wilderness? And both have uh, both are centered around thirst for water. And what's the answer for this problem of thirst and waterlessness and barrenness of the wilderness? All through these years, it never gets better. What's the solution? The rock. The rock is the solution. I said it was the same rock a little bit earlier. The same rock was there for them in Rephidim as is there for them in Kadesh. But it's two different words in the Hebrew. It's two different words. The rock in Exodus chapter 17 is a an exposed rock, like the face of a cliff or like an exposed piece of bedrock. Or something like that granite that's exposed that you see on the uh, bare a bare rock, emphasizing its strength and its stability, its hardness, its firmness. By the way, the word rephidim means support, or we could say foundation. The word rephidim, and in Exodus 17, that's what is emphasized by the rock there: its solidness. And strength. In Numbers chapter 20, the word there is different, altogether different, and the rock is there a high rock. It is a uplifted rock. It's a rock like a pinnacle type of a rock. It's like a rock that you would look to as a fortress or a stronghold rock. And Kadesh, meaning set apart or exalted, would be beautifully pictured in that uplifted high rock. In the first rock, he is our Savior. 
And there, the rock is smitten. In this second rock, he is our security. And there, the rock is spoken to, (laughs) prayed to, called upon. We address him. And the one it is smitten I don't know how to say this quite right. Treated like an enemy. In the second one, treated like a friend. Spoken to, addressed. Entered close to. Isn't that an amazing, it's an amazing contemplation. I'll leave it for your consideration. Unfortunately, when Moses was supposed to speak to the rock, he was supposed to speak to the rock. But he lost his temper, and he spoke to the people instead. Instead of speaking to the rock, it says he spoke to the people. Hear this, you rebels! When God, in verse 24, says, Moses, you and Aaron are the rebels. You're the ones that have rebelled against my word not sanctify me in the eyes of the people. I've grabbed this little quote from Dr. Gooding's book that we're reading, uh, the devotional book. That act of impatience cost Moses his entry into the promised land. It seems hard on Moses, doesn't it? But God had appointed Moses to look after Israel. And if Moses could not do it without losing his temper and so misrepresenting God to the people, then Moses must be set aside. God has appointed us a captain of our salvation and made him responsible for seeing us through this world home to glory. Thank God we can count on his faithfulness and know that he will never fail, never lose his temper with us or his patience for us but will fulfill his God-appointed task to the very end. He is able to save to the uttermost all that come to God by him. Wow. The contrast is so important to see and to meditate on. It is the same rock. It is the same rock in two aspects of that great work of Christ. One dying for our sins the other interceding for our souls. So Moses is disqualified. Notice how they are connected, these two, these events. I mean, it's it's so connected, you can't break it apart. I'm talking about the fact that the prophetess, the prophetess dies, and the lawgiver is set aside in one quick little story. The law and the prophets, they're always associated with each other, aren't they? Closely tied together, the law and the prophets. And here, it is apparent that they will not bring the people of Israel into the promised land. The law and the prophets cannot bring the children of Israel into the promises of God. And it only makes logical sense. If we come in under the law, it is not by receiving the promise. It is by 
works and not by grace. That's what Paul argues in the book of the Galatians. You cannot enter into the things, into the promises of God on the basis of law-keeping. It must be on the basis of faith in Christ. So Moses and Miriam must step aside. And by the time we get to the end of the chapter, I'm skipping ahead just a bit, but when we get to the end, we'll see that the Aaronic priesthood must also step aside. But first of all, there's another issue. The second part of chapter 20 takes us to this problem with Edom. It's made clear in verses 14 through 21 that the children of Israel are not going to be able, they're not going to be allowed to pass through Edom on the highway. They are going to get no help from Edom. You get no help from Edom. In fact, Edom stands as a direct impediment to their progress toward the promised land. This is an important little this is an important little thing. It's not just a little story stuck in there. Ooh, what is Edom? Who is Edom anyway? Edom is often called their brothers, brothers to Israel because they are the the descendants of Esau. And you remember the story between Jacob and Esau and that struggle. Esau was set aside by God, by God's divine election. And in Genesis chapter 36, four times over in that chapter, Esau is Edom, so we don't miss that point. Edom represents for us a picture of the natural man, the man like Esau was, that natural man that was just all about going hunting and getting venison and enjoying the good things of this life and enjoying this life. And if it didn't fit into this life, well, it didn't mean anything to him. He could care less about anything else. Anything spiritual? (laughs) Whatever. I'm enjoying this life. That was Esau. Esau said, I'm so hungry, I think I'm going to die. What good is a birthright compared to a good old bowl of porridge? Give me something to eat. Feed my belly. I'll throw away my soul. Esau was a profane person, says the word of God. A profane person. He despised his birthright because he treated, he valued this life, these things, this body, my stomach above his soul. Gratify my flesh. That's all I care about. I live for today and whatever I can get out of this life. That's me. I'm the man. That's American dream. Well, that's Esau. That natural man. Now, there's more pictures of the flesh in the Old Testament than just Esau and Edom. Edom is that natural man. Amalek, we've met him before in the book of Numbers and in Exodus. Amalek is the flesh in its direct opposition and hatred for the spirit. The flesh, we read in Galatians 6, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and the two are contrary one to the other. That's Amalek's picture. Amalek is always fighting, deviously fighting against the children of Israel and trying to under, trying to 
hurt them militarily, do damage to them. That's Amalek, the flesh in its direct opposition to the spirit. Moab, which we are about to come to in the next chapter, Moab. Moab is the flesh in its lusts and passions, its base nature, and its uncircumcisedness. Well, we've got that also in Philistine. So there's several ways of picturing the flesh. Edom is that natural man that has only taste for this earth, that he's an earthly man. Then that's what the name Edom really means is red like the earth. It's a, it's, it's almost the same as Adam, red, man. And Israel is to understand, they're not to fight against this Edom, they're to avoid it. Turn away from it. Israel is to turn away, turn away, just avoid it. Skirt around that land. You'll get no help there. They will not advance your purposes of getting into the promised land, of of going into the, the things of God. No, they will not advance. They will be an impediment to it. Do not. You cannot go that way. It may seem easier. It may seem like a direct route. but No, you cannot go that way. The hard way, the hard way is the right way, is God's way around Edom. That little story, just to illustrate to us uh, that there's no help there. So the prophetess and the the law and the prophets, if I can put it like that, Moses and Miriam, the law and the prophets, they won't bring us into the land. Edom will not help us to get into the land. And the priesthood under Aaron, Aaronic priesthood, will also not bring them into the land. He dies in the end of this chapter. So that's the third section of this chapter, verses 22 to the end. The death of Aaron, the high priest, yes. The Aaronic priesthood also must be uh, eliminated or ended because we need in order to be brought into the promised land, a better priesthood. We need a better priesthood with better sacrifices. And who is that? Obviously, uh, you know who I'm speaking of. And the book of Hebrews points it out and illustrates it over and over what a glorious, better priesthood is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 7, I'm going to read uh, verses 23 on. And that is directly pointing at what's happened in this chapter where Aaron is taken up into the mountain and his priestly garments are taken off and put on his son. And so there's a change of the high priest because of death. And that happened over and over through the course of Israel's history, obviously. But the difference for us is in the New Testament, Verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 7, They truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, speaking of the Lord Jesus as our great high priest, this man, because he continueth ever, has an unchangeable priesthood. 
Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. I quoted it earlier. He's able to save to the uttermost those that come to God by him. Seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. He's that exalted rock. He's the high rock, and he'll never lose his temper. He needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for his people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law, maketh the Son, who is consecrated high priest forevermore. So much greater and better our high priest under the New Testament, our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he was the rock and Rephidim that had to be smitten for our sins. He had to be struck. He was also the rock in Kadesh before whom we appeal. We come and speak to him. He hears our prayers. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He intercedes on our behalf. He, by his finished work on the cross and by his ongoing work of intercession for us at the right hand of the majesty on high, will bring us into the promises of God. Father, we thank you this morning again for the wonderful, wonderful Savior that you have given to us. We ask you your blessing upon these thoughts. Help us to digest some of this and come to appreciate more deeply and fully the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ and the marvel of his work. We thank you for him this morning in his name. Amen.